Lord have mercy. I feel the Lord here today. Mm. How many of you love Jesus? Can we get into his word? I believe there's a miracle in the house today. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, there's a miracle in the house today. Some of you raised your hand and you need a miracle. Listen, there is a miracle in the house today. Can you say it in faith? There is a miracle in the house. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a miracle in the house today. Good Lord, have mercy. Take your Bibles. Just stay on your feet for a moment. Some of y'all are like, whew, Lord have mercy. They stay on their feet here for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we do. Just stay on your feet for a minute longer. We're going to read some of God's word. I need you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2. Today we're beginning this brand new series called Retro. Everybody say Retro. For the last several summers, we've done a series very similar to this where we actually go back to last year's series and we take those series, four-week series, and we repackage those series. We re, kind of rebrand, if you will, those series. We take four weeks and reduce it into a one-week format, which is a lot of work, just so that we can give you a synoptic version of what we talked about last year. And this week, we're looking at a series called what if? Everybody say, what if? How many of you have dreams? How many of you want to continue to see God fulfill your dreams? How many of you are just not participating? <laughs> God has a plan, a design. In fact, God's word is so specific in that the Bible says that you were chosen. Look at your neighbor. You're going to get to know your neighbor and say, you're chosen. The Bible says you were chosen before the foundation of the earth was even laid. The Bible says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The Bible says that God has written your story, that he has a plan for you. The Bible says that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says that he knows the end from the beginning. The fact that the Bible says all of that stuff about how God has planned our destiny only tells us that there are things that heaven has already released on your behalf that you have not made it to yet. Because the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what you need tomorrow. Even though you're not sure what tomorrow holds, he holds tomorrow. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of today today's conversation already but not yet already but not yet mm, let me take you to Nehemiah chapter 1 I'm going to read a few verses just to offer some commentary and some direction to where we're going but Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11 here is Nehemiah who's crying out on behalf of the people of Israel because their land their promise, their inheritance has been annihilated, has been destroyed. And he cries out to God, is it okay if I read and a little and stop and offer some commentary? Is it okay? Chapter 1 verse 11 says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. Stop right there. <laughs> Lord, let your ear be attentive 
let your ear be attentive that's a hebrew statement i just need to give you some commentary here that's a hebrew statement let your ear be attentive it, it means and really shows us the condition of nehemiah's heart that he is totally dependent upon god not that god would only hear our prayer but that god is an ever-present help in a time of need he says lord May your ear be attentive to our cry. He's saying that, God, I know that you're a God who not only hears, but if you hear our cry, you're going to do something about our cry. It's a faith statement. It's a Hebrew statement. You see, 1,500 years before, God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. He said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. The problem with that inheritance is... The Babylonians came in, the Persians came in, and they ran everybody out of Israel. They took them back to, to Babylon, back to Persia. Three million people they exiled. Now, over 100 years later, 50,000 of those people, a remnant of those people are coming back to the promise. But yet, the promise seems to be chaotic. It's in ruins. Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. There's no protection. And so Nehemiah is crying out to God. And look what he says in the rest of verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. Everybody say success. The keys to success. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Granting to him favor. You ought to circle that word favor. You see, this prayer that Nehemiah is praying is not a prayer like, God, I want you to handle this, make it all better. This is a prayer of action. This is Nehemiah saying, God, use me to make it better. Grant to me a favor. You see, when God gives you favor, it's not like someone doing you a favor. The favor of God is greater than someone doing you a favor. The favor of God opens heaven on your behalf so that you can do what God has called you to do. The favor of God begins to open heaven so that you can go where God has called you to go. The favor of God opens doors that no man can close and closes doors that no man can open. The favor of God blesses your lying down and your rising up. Blesses your coming in and your going out. Blesses you in the city and in the field. Somebody ought to give God praise for his favor. Hmm. Lord have mercy. I feel my preach coming on. But it's not that part of the verse that's most intriguing to me. It's the next part of the verse that seems to stand out. Because Nehemiah says, I was cupbearer to the king. You can do some research on that part of the verse, and there's not a lot of theological commentary. There is some historical significance, though, Paul. We know the historical significance is that he was the cupbearer to the king, which meant that he was in charge of security. He was tasked, if you will, with protecting the king. He had close encounters with the king, if you will. The king trusted him. He was in the king's presence quite often. He had to pick choose and drink and eat the food of the king before the king would eat the food to ensure that the food and the wine was not poisoned so he would drink the wine and after he would drink the wine he would lift it up and say may the king live forever he's a trusted advisor to the king he's the secret service if you will There's, that's the historical significance but the theological significance is somewhat 
baffling because why is Nehemiah telling us that he's the cupbearer to the king? Here's something that you need to hear. You see, maybe he's telling us his responsibility in relationship to the king in comparison to who he really is. I need you to grab this. Maybe he's letting us know what he does, but that's not who he is. Hold on a second. You see, this story is written from Nehemiah's perspective. It's about Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer, but the cupbearer is not his identity. That's what he does. It's not who he is. You see, the king thinks that that's his identity. When he needs the cupbearer, Ryan, he shouts, where's my cupbearer? But the cupbearer is what he does. It's not who he is. And somebody needs to grab hold of this today. What if, what if we live not by what we do, but by who we are, but by the identity that Christ has given to us, because it will begin to change all the circumstances in our lives. Hold on a second. What if we begin to live not by what we do, but by who we are, because it's who we are that impacts what we do. It's who we are that impacts what we do as a father, what we do as a business owner, what we do as an employee, what we do as a servant, what we do as a student. But so often we're focused on what we do. And when we're focused on what we do, our what ifs, our dreams become if only regrets. Because it's who we are that enables us to walk into our destiny. It's not what we do. Hold on a second. Let me give it to you this way. You see, rather than your identity influencing your crisis, so many times our crisis becomes our identity. Whatever it is that you're going through becomes what you identify with. He said, I was cupbearer to the king. That's what he did. It's not who he was. Just be seated for a minute. Be seated. Keep playing, Carmen. That's good. So could it be that there are things in our lives, I need you to grab this thought, could it be that there are things in our lives that go unrealized because we don't know who we are while we're doing what we do? Did you grab that? Are there things in our lives that go unrealized because we don't know who we are while we do what we do? You see, as a pastor, one of the things that I hear people ask most is, what is it that God wants me to do? What does God want me to do? We're always so consumed with what God wants us to do. But God is more concerned with you understanding who you are in him. Because when you realize who you are in him, that's when you'll know what to do. It's who you are in him that enables you to do what he wants you to do. Let me give you an example. I hope this is making sense. I can stand on this stage and use a talent to pontificate. But it's really just an empty talent if I don't embrace who I am in God. It's me embracing who I am in God that enables me to do what he's called me to do. In fact, let me show you something. I know we're jumping around a lot, but let me show you something. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I don't even know if I gave that. I hope I did because, yeah. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Watch this. You need to see this. This is the way Peter talks about this concept. He says, each of you, everybody say, that's me. 
point to yourself and say, that's me. Each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Hold on a second. Some of you, when it says whatever gift that you have received, God has given you a job, but you don't see it as a gift. And what he's telling you to do right now at this moment is to use that job as a gift to do what? To serve others. Hmm. Whatever gift that you have received, whatever gift, whatever he has placed in your hands, he says you have received to serve others. Watch this. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So tomorrow when you go to a job that you don't even like, if you begin to see it as a gift, and that, sometimes that's tough, but you begin to see it as a gift, you'll begin to manage it in a different way. How many of you know when you see a gift that has been placed in your hands and you see how precious it is, you begin to guard it in a different way. You begin to treat it in a different way. Peter says, whatever gift that you have been given, he says, use it to serve others. You see, what he's saying, you're not catching what I'm throwing this morning. What he's saying is that you're a grace manager. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a grace manager. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder right now and say, you're a grace manager. Some of you just got a promotion. Some of you thought, no, I ain't a manager. I'm just an employee. No, you're a grace manager. I'm just a mom. No, you're a grace manager. I'm just a dad. No, you're a grace manager. I'm just a student. No, you are a grace manager with the responsibility of managing the most precious gift of all from heaven, the gift of grace. That's what your job is. You're a grace manager. Now, let me give you the context of this concept. If you're a grace manager, that just means that the faith that you have it's really the faith that you partake in, the faith that you participate in comes in the form of an inheritance. By that, I mean that God has already put in place everything that you need to be all that he's called you to be. It's already been given. You just have not yet received it. Mm, Lord, have mercy. Hold on a second. Everything that you, you're a grace manager, everything that you need has already been given. You see, Christ has already made available everything that you need to do everything that God has called you to do. It's your responsibility to grab hold of it. It's your responsibility to gain access to it. It's your responsibility to manage it. You may be saying, well, hold on a second. I don't see it, it, the thing materializing in my life. I heard a promise from God, but it's not materializing in my life. You need to understand you continue to manage the gift that God has given to you because it will happen. Why? Because the this is for somebody. The Bible says that his word will not return void. All you have to do is live in the already but not yet promise. The already but not yet promise. You see, God's declared it over you. You may feel like you're losing, but hold on a second. God has already declared that you are a victorious person. You're more than a conqueror. 
You may feel like you're waiting on the provision, but God has already declared it over your life in that he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You may be waiting on a healing in your life, but God has already declared it because he said, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You see, he may have thought he was just a cupbearer, but now all of a sudden he realizes he was not there to serve the king. He was there to serve the king of kings. And even though the walls were in ruin, even though Israel was messed up, he knew that God was about to turn it into a mess. Why? Because it had already been given, just not yet manifested. Mm. So 1,500 years before Nehemiah pens these words, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. And for a plethora of reasons, it has not fully materialized yet. So let me take you back to the narrative and explain some things to you because three things are happening in Nehemiah's life that you need to grab hold of. He's praying, he's thinking, and he's working. There's three things that happen in this passage of Scripture. In fact, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, let me read it to you. Is everybody there? Say, I'm there. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, that's a car manufacturer, been around a long time. Year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? Everybody look at your neighbor and make a sad face. Stick your bottom lip out. Go ahead. Some of you already have that. Go ahead. Some of you need to let your face know your heart's having fun this moment. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. He said, I was very much afraid. We see the countenance of the cupbearer. We see the countenance of Nehemiah. It says that he's, he's so sad. It's the brokenness of his spirit. He's, he's so sad. He's, the countenance is sadness. There's this broken attitude within him. Why? Because here he is in a place that he has no needs. While his inheritance is 800 miles away and it's in ruin. You see, a little over 100 years before, the Babylonians came in, took 3 million people back to Persia. Now, over 100 years later, a little less than 2% of those people have gone back to Israel. And when they get there, Jerusalem is destroyed. The houses are destroyed. The protective wall that went around the city that kept the enemy out has been destroyed. And so they send word back to Nehemiah saying, what can you do to help us? They're broken. And now Nehemiah finds this out and he's broken. You see, when chapter 2 opens up, it's four months, grab this, it is four months after Nehemiah has received the word. Nehemiah, four months later, is still broken. He received the word, if you will, in January, and then in May, he's still broken. In fact, let me show you something. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Verse 4 of chapter 1 says this. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. 
said, when I heard these things, I mourned and I fasted and I, I wept. You see, he had this emotional trauma happening in his life, but his emotions were not fleeting. You know how you watch something on TV and you're really moved by what you see on TV and you cry a little bit and you're like, "Woo, man, one day I'm going to help that situation. And then you kind of move on and you forget about that situation. That's not what's happening here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not broken within himself as far as his own circumstances. He's broken for the brokenness of someone else. Nehemiah sees this and he cries out. Four months later, he cries out. You see, his emotions are not fleeting. He's, he's burdened for the people. And let me tell you something. A burden does not come and then go. A burden comes and then grows. You see, so many times, the burden that we have, God is trying to move us from filling the burden to being a blessing. From filling the burden and being a blessing, it says that he was burdened, that he wept, that he cried, that he fasted. See, God will use the brokenness in your life to enhance your visual acuity. I need you to grab this. He'll use brokenness in your life to grant to you an empathy for others. One theologian said this. He said that many times God will not allow you to be a blessing to someone else until he first enables you to see things as though they are. So here is Nehemiah crying out before the Lord. He says, Lord, may your ear be attentive to my cry and the cry of your people. I wish I had time to really break apart that prayer. I don't, but... I need you to grab hold of this in your spirit today. Because what I see Nehemiah doing is something that many times we forget to do. You see, when I see this prayer, my mind goes to Psalms chapter 81, verse 10, where the psalmist writes, he said, I open up my mouth, God, fill my mouth with the power of your promise, the power of your word. What he's saying is that we've got to begin to pray the promises of God's word. May they be uttered through our mouths. This is a prayer. You see, Nehemiah is praying a prayer. He's saying, I am burdened to be a miracle for the people of Israel. What would happen if we became burdened to be a miracle for the people of Fayetteville? Hello? What would happen? He's burdened to be a miracle. You see, miracles don't just take place. So many times we sit back and we're like, God, just go ahead and take care of it. You can do it, God. But God works through people. God works through people. You see, the miracle didn't take place for the people of Israel by Nehemiah sitting back saying, God, you, you take care of this. Nehemiah did not use his position as a cupbearer to bring himself glory. He used his position as a cupbearer to bring God glory. Every major miracle in the Bible is met with a person or, or a group of people being in the right position. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had they not been burdened to be faithful in the furnace, they would not have seen the move of God. Had David not been burdened to step on the battlefield, he would not have seen Goliath fall. 
Had Jesus not been burdened to, to die on the cross, he would not have seen the resurrection. Had Nehemiah not been burdened for the people of Israel, the walls would have never been built. Why has this church been successful for six years? Because we've positioned ourselves to be a miracle for our community. I want you to think about this with me for a moment because when I read about Nehemiah years ago, I always thought that like Nehemiah was the first one who ever said, you know what, something has to be done about the walls, that everybody else just kind of let them just hang out the way they were, just broken down. What I found out was that Nehemiah was not the first one to try to rebuild the wall. Others had tried to rebuild the wall. But they failed. The enemy came in and tore the walls down. The Holy Spirit dropped this in my lap. Others failed at building the wall because they were building the wall for the wall's sake. In other words, you can do the right thing. And it still not work out. But when God places a burden with inside of you, there is no enemy that can stop you from what God is wanting to do through you. Are you with me? Already, but not yet. Live in the promise of already, but not yet. Listen, that's walking in faith. Already, but not yet. I already have received my healing. I just have not seen it manifested yet because I know God is about to do something great. You see, as far as Nehemiah was concerned, heaven had already rebuilt the walls. All he had to do was act upon it. Can I tell you something? It is hard for you to be burdened for something that you have not invested in. Grab that. Let that resonate in your spirit. Somebody ought to say amen to that. It's hard for you to be burdened for something that you have not invested in. You see, other people had tried to rebuild the walls. Other people. But they failed. They, they had thrown money at it. They posted it on Facebook. They call, called their friends. They had a GoFundMe account. None of it worked. But for Nehemiah, it did. If you read the whole book of Nehemiah, you see that he built those walls in record time. It was miraculous at how fast he rebuilt these walls. You see, because Nehemiah was burdened. Nehemiah allowed his brokenness to move into the form of a burden, and he allowed his burden to be moved into the form of wanting to be a blessing. It just, it absolutely baffles me. Think about this with me for a moment. It absolutely baffles me that Nehemiah is 800 miles away from Israel. He's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Nothing in his life is broken, but yet he's still burdened for the brokenness of this people. 800 miles away and he looks around in his environment and there's nothing that's broken and he realizes all of a sudden listen everything that I have is not a result of what I do everything that I have is a result of who I am it's not a result of King Artaxerxes because I'm not really here to serve the king as much as I'm here to serve the king of kings he realized that everything that he had was because of the grace of God he realized that he must manage God's grace in his life in such a way that others are affected and impacted by the grace that God is exhibiting in his life. You see, what blows me away is here is Nehemiah who's in the palace. He's secure in the palace. He's in charge of security, but he's absolutely burdened for a people who have no security. You see, 
in your life right now, there may be things that you've been praying for and hoping for and waiting on and you've given up hope. Can I tell you something? You must continue to believe because God's word will not return void. If you'll just continue to manage, if you'll just continue to take that burden that he's placed within you and begin to manage it in such a way that it turns into a blessing, God will do things on your behalf that you have not been able to do for yourself. Listen, I need you to grab hold of this because many times God will use a burden in your life, the discomfort of a burden, in order for you to discover your destiny. <laughs> I want you to apply that to where you are right now. You may be praying for a son who's lost. You've been praying for them. You've been praying for their situation. I don't know who this is for, but you've been praying for their situation. Praying for their health, praying for their salvation, praying for their brokenness, praying that they would get everything together. Just maybe the burden that God has given you, he's going to use you in order to bring them, that person, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Therefore, that burden will ultimately reveal your destiny as well as theirs. Mm. Hold on a second. Let me go a little bit deeper. I don't know who this is for. But you are not growing in your position as a cupbearer. Right now, some of you are not growing in your position as a cupbearer. And the reason why you're not growing in your position as a cupbearer is because you're more focused on what you are doing as opposed to who you are. And God has given you a burden, but you're not growing into the blessing because you're not doing nothing with the burden that he's already given you. Here's what I'm trying to say, and I don't mean this to be harsh, and you ought to write this down because it's free. It's not even in your notes. And there's a special place in heaven for note takers. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But this is what you need to hear. Some of you need to stop asking for kingdom inheritance if you are not willing to invest in kingdom burdens. Grab that. Stop asking for kingdom inheritance if you're not willing to invest in kingdom burdens. This church, we're burdened for our city. That's why we do Ways to Love. That's why we do Operation Compassion. That's why we do Bumper Crop. That's why we do Hop in the Park. That's why we invest 20,000 hours in our community through volunteering. Why? Because we are burdened for our community. I'm burdened to see more people saved. I'm burdened to see more people healed. I'm burdened to, for a brand new location so that we can continue to grow the way God wants us to grow. Some people may say, well, then you're, all you are is burdened for a, something material. No, I'm not burdened for something material. I'm burdened for God to continue to place within our hands whatever he wants to place within our hands so that we can manage it in such a way so that souls are one into his kingdom. That's what the Bible says our responsibility is. Some people say, why do you shout when you preach? Why do you shout so much when you preach? Just a shouter, all the time shouting. Because I'm passionate about the word. Listen, we shout for teams, our favorite football, basketball team. You know you do. I've been with you. Some of y'all are crazy. Shout for your favorite team, all shouting, woo, yeah, go ahead. And you're calling out names as if they're your best friend. You don't even know them. They don't know you. (laughs) 
me show you something. I'm digressing. Please forgive me. Verse 2, it says, so the king asked me, why did your face look so sad? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. Why is he afraid? You need to understand something. You were not allowed to go before the king sad. If you went before the king sad, he would have you killed. But here's what's beautiful about Nehemiah. I don't know where my team's at, but y'all can come up here and start playing any old time. Come on. I don't, I don't know if, if you're grabbing hold of this, but Nehemiah, he goes before the king. You're not allowed to go before the king if you're sad because the king will have you killed. The king has had, had, has had other people killed because they have gone in before him with a sad countenance. That's why he said, I was very much afraid. <laughs> I'm, I could be, I'm getting ready to die. But here's what's cool about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was more convinced about what God had placed within him than what was coming against him. He was more convinced about what God had placed with inside of him than he was with the enemy who could come against him. Watch this. Look at the rest of verse 3 and following. It says, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. That's the way he had to greet the king. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Can you imagine that? Hang on a second. He's in the presence of the king. And when he begins to pray in front of the king, he is saying to the king that there is someone that outranks you. Mm. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and will, when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide for me safe passage until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asfa, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. In other words, king, will you build me a house as well? Mm, if he's asking, he said, let's just go for it says and because the gracious hand of God was on me oh Lord the king granted my request because the gracious hand of God was upon me verse 9 so I went to the governors of trans Euphrates and gave them the king's letters and the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me <laughs> hold on a second already but not yet Already, but not here he is wondering what is going to happen. The land has been in ruins. The city has been in ruins for over a hundred years. But God had given them a promise 1,500 years ago. It had already been given. It just had not yet materialized. You see, some of you have been praying for things, worrying about things, but you need to understand it's already, but not yet. You need to live in the promise of already, but not yet. Already, God's going to save that son that you've been praying for already. It just has not yet happened. Mm. 
says when Sambalit and the Haranite and Tobiah, the Ammonite, the official, heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, how many of you know there's a lot of symbolism there? It's three days. There was a Messiah who stayed in the tomb for three days. And then he rebuilt. <laughs> he bridged the gap between heaven and earth. It says, I set out during the night with a few others, and I had not told anyone what my God had put in my spirit to do for the Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate. You see, he's been praying. Now he's building a plan. He's thinking about it. He said, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God who was upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding so they began this good work oh lord have mercy watch this this ought to rise up in your spirit but when Sambalet and the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite the official of Geshem and Arab the Arabs had heard about this they mocked and ridiculed us what is this that you are doing they asked are you rebelling against the king watch this here it is here it is this ought to cause you to get up on your feet he said I answered them by saying the God of heaven everybody say the God of heaven the God of heaven, the God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. You see, the king had given him some stuff, but he realized it was not because he was the cupbearer. It was because he was a child of God. It says the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it because the God of heaven will give us success. It's already been proclaimed. We just have have not yet realized it it's already you've already got peace you've already got help you've already got hope you've already got healing somebody get up on your feet begin to give God praise already but not yet already but not yet come on and praise him church somebody in this place I don't know who this is for, but I feel the Spirit of God so strongly this morning. You need to learn how to live in the already promise of God. Because you're focused on what you do. And because you're focused upon what you do, you're also focused upon what is happening in your life. And because of what's happening or not happening in your life, You've lost focus of the promise that's already been proclaimed. And the word of the Lord will not return void. God today wants to grant healing in your body. God today wants to do the miraculous in your life. Hold on a second. For that family that's praying for that son, God wants to do something so radical in his life.
that his destiny will be so beautiful. But it will come as a result of you living in the promise of already and not yet.